Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode... Well, if I'd slept for about 45, 50 minutes, that would actually would have been bad because I would have been right in, in the deep sleep cycle. 24 minutes, I believe, according to NASA, is the optimum time for, for a power nap. Apparently, <laughs> that's what they instruct their astronauts to do, 24 minutes. I read that oh, recently okay. in a magazine, so it's got to right. be true. If I, again, if only I'd had yeah. you it's worth bearing advising me there. It's worth bearing in mind. <laughs> Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake Lowe. This is my favourite part of the week. It is indeed the Running with Jake podcast. Welcome to today's episode. And do we have a show for you today? I, I am so excited that we have got this guy finally on the show. It is indeed Damien Hall who recently absolutely smashed the record for running 268 miles of the Pennine Way. Just unbelievable, virtually no sleep. How he did it, I have no idea. We're going to find out on today's show. Do you know, this This is great because this is actually, technically, the second time you've spoken to Damien. After the first time, after you spoke to him, there was, there was an issue with recording, which meant that Damien basically screwed up our show. Well, do you know what? It's, it, it's kind of like one all. I, f- I feel like I can't put it all on Damien because actually the first time, and I've never cancelled <laughs> on a guest, by the way. We don't cancel on our guests if you're listening to this show and you may be a future guest. I won't cancel on you. It's not my style. However, we had plumbing issues. We had legal man and we were due to record a call with Damien and, and I just I had I had to drop him a message it was like proper <laughs> humble pie you know I felt like you know you know when you, you felt a bit of a sickie at work back in the day it was that kind of feeling it was horrible I hated it I was like well he's not going to mm. believe me mm. do I make something up the dog ate my homework I'm really sorry but anyway he was so understanding and then we finally managed to set up a call with him and then he forgot to press record so I feel like I know him really well yet we've never actually played him on the show in any shape or form. The point is that you did speak to him for a good half hour and then after that you were so pumped after after speaking to him because you, yourself, to be fair, like it's something that you've recently got into, I think probably more now than you were previously and that is, that is trail running. Oh, do you know what? It's weird because this is your weekly dose of running motivation. If you are new to this show, that's exactly what we are about. If you are a regular listener of ours, mm. then you will know that we try and get people fired up and... We try and inspire other people through our guests and motivate our listeners. Actually, what I didn't see coming when I first started and launched this podcast was my guests influencing and inspiring me. Since speaking to Damien, I've been Googling random weird off-road running events that are just distances that make your eyes bleed. I mean, why am I looking at this stuff? I Literally, <laughs> I can see myself registering for something nuts once the world returns to normal. I can't believe it. It's such an inspirational guy. But I just love it. I love the whole trail running thing. In fact, in fact, in fact, yeah. man, I'm super oh. excited. Not only have we got Damien Hall on the show today, but do you know, do you know what arrived this morning? What, in the post? As in, in your post? Yeah, proper. De- we all like deliveries, especially in lockdown. And I had a delivery from Salomon, the running brand. Okay. Man, they sent me a pair of their new trail running shoes. These are awesome. They were like, look, do you want to check these out? Do you want to try them? I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Now, look, I wouldn't just try any brand. It's got to be a brand that works for me that I like, mm. you know, and, and Salomon are awesome because I've used their trainers before, like years ago, but they were a little bit too narrow for me. They used to do like a speed cross shoe. It's mm. a little bit on the narrow side and I've got quite wide feet. I know they're quite small, but I feet quite wide. So I was like, mm, you know, I'm trying to squeeze my foot in there a bit like that. You're like a little hobbit, aren't you? I've seen your little feet. Well, Martina does call me Bilbo Baggins. So they're small, but they're quite wide. It's a bit, I don't know if they're misshapen, but anyway, I need a slightly wider shoe. Mm. 
they sent me a pair this morning. Do you want to see them? Do you want to see them? This is like an unboxing. They do this on YouTube. So- Solomon sent you some shoes for free? Yeah, for free? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, show yeah. them to me. I show know. them on the video camera. Do you want to see yeah, them? Show, Honestly, show them. these are... They're brand new because I've not... I've literally, literally just got them this morning, so I'm going to go for a run this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. But this is mega. Stay okay, back. okay. Oh, oh, you've knocked the camera. Oh, da, you're, you're da, right. Da, da, da. Go, go. Oh, oh, oh. Can you <laughs> see me? Can you see me? I can see you. I can see you. Nice. Time to play, baby. Hashtag time to play. These are awesome. Show me in the box. Show me in the box. These are the brand new Salomon Wild Cross shoes. Look at those bad boys. Let's see the top. Turn them around a bit. You see that? Nice. Look how nice they are, yeah? Yeah. Now, I know you're you're only just getting into a bit of running, Pete. I know yeah. you're not into your yeah. trails yet, but when you do get off-road, my friend, the powers of influence, I will convert you to the dark side of the trails. Check that grip out. Check that bad boy out. You're not going to fall on your ass with those. No chance at all. You know, the great thing about Solomon is they do a whole bunch of great stuff. I was once told that I had the right body to be a snowboarder, and they do a whole bunch <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know I don't know why I've got the right shaped body to be a snowboarder, but the girl was going on about, yeah, I'm I'm weighty at the bottom, but the top half is top half is not as weighty, so I've got the right centre of gravity to be a good snowboarder. Now you know me, I don't like snow, I don't like being cold, but I'm I was looking at the um I was looking at the snowboards that Solomon do. And it's, they do some wicked kit, or I might become a skier. I might become a skier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you like a weeble. Is it a weeble? They wobble, but they don't fall down. Well, you can't knock a weeble over, can you? No, you can't. Not a chance. It's like one of those old punch bags that I had that you inflate with air when I was 10 years old. You keep, like, smashing He-Man in the face, and he just comes back up. That's you on the slopes, mate. Absolutely. But I tell you what, those those um, those running shoes look fantastic, and um, and, and like you say, you're not going to fall over with, the, with those, which means that you're not going to be injured, which is great. So uh, next week on the show, I want to hear about how great they are, OK? So we've learned two things so far in today's episode. It's a great show for for you that I actually love my Solomon new wild cross shoes that I'm looking at testing out later this afternoon and Pete has better core stability and balance than Damien Hall coming up on the show very soon for the show notes and video content go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast Running with Jake, the podcast. Now, with the lack of races in 2020, one term that you may be more familiar with is FKT, which stands for fastest known time. And effectively, this is the fastest you can run across a given course. Now, one FKT that has stood the test of time, a 31-year-old record, which is insane, which was set by Mike Hartley back in 1989, is for running 268 miles of the Pennine Way. Just incredible stuff. And 2020 saw this record broken not once, but twice. It was first broken by John Kelly, and the current record holder is actually our next guest who did it in a staggering 61 hours, 35 minutes and 15 seconds. It is indeed Damien Hall. We've finally got him on the show. And talking of records, Damien, just to put our record straight, now the first time we tried to get you on the show, I had to cancel because of a leaky roof, and the second time you forgot to press record. The big question is, who's going to screw it up today? (laughs) Probably me. I wasn't there on the last recording, but Jake said how absolutely brilliant you were, Damien, so I've got got high expectations. But chances are, to be fair, if I'm around, I'll screw it up. So who knows? I'm quite happy to take the blame. Well, look, it's good to talk yeah. to you, Damien. At long last, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> you, you, you like, you've got this celebrity status thing going on. I mean, you, you're on every podcast going. It's right? yeah, you're everywhere, man. You're everywhere. I never get sick of hearing you. It's actually good to talk to you. Do you get tired of this kind of? 
I say celebrity status, but you know what I mean. When you when you do something that's inspiring, that motivates others, and especially when the at the core of it is running, because people are so passionate about running, it's naturally going to create a lot of noise, isn't it? It's going to create a lot of interest. Do you find this gets a bit tiring, or do you do you love it? Do you enjoy it? What, what's what's the deal? I really enjoy it. I mean, people such as your good selves get in touch every now and then and say hey come on a podcast and and you just go on a, and usually it's about an hour and you chat about running and i can't imagine many better things to do to be honest other than running which is slightly better than talking about running but i've run i've already run today i hope you guys have so actually i mean it's not like <laughs> i'm not getting stopped in the street for autographs or anything or anything like that i occasionally get recognized i got recognized at the airport once but that was about it so yeah yeah no I, i'm by no means a celebrity i'm a a Z-list celebrity, if I am one. Um, so, no, I, I love... I'm very grateful of attention because a few years ago, uh, I guess my running wouldn't have created much attention and in a few years' time, it probably won't again. So... Uh, if people want to talk about that, then I'm all for it. Now, look, obviously there's loads of stuff I want to <laughs> chat to you about. It's been a little bit of time now since the FKT, isn't it? Since the uh, Pennine Way, it feels like a little bit of time. Where, as we record this, we're on the brink of a second lockdown. I mean, the world's just mad, isn't it? Has life returned to normal for you, whatever normal is? I mean, how did it feel once you'd, you'd kind of come out the other side of of the Pennine Way in the record? The first week or two or maybe even three were, were uh, a bit, I guess, a bit crazy for me. But in a kind of, I mean, that was exciting. Yeah, so um, for those who didn't know, um, two or three days later... Oh, no, I finished on the Friday, didn't I? And I think Monday morning I was live on BBC television with, with John Kelly, which was, that was all a bit like, whoa, what's happened here? <laughs> um, and poor John, I'm more of a morning person than John. Um, I think he they pulled they pulled it forward. They said we'll call you at quarter to eight or something. Then they were phoning us at about twenty past seven, going, "We want to get you on early. We want to get you on early." And they couldn't get John up. They phoned him six or eight times, I think. <laughs> so he literally, I think it was just he'd set his alarm. He just woke up, had all these missed calls, went pretty much straight from his bed to live on BBC Breakfast. I think. Um, so it was more crazy for him, I suppose. Um, and yeah, it was exciting. I, I suppose I did. A, I had a Guardian interview and. Uh, someone from the Daily Mail spoke to me, which was a surprise. Uh, I suppose lots of podcast requests and other interview requests uh, for various websites. I'd say things have settled down now. Yeah, it's back to back to normal. Grateful of requests like you guys yeah. getting in touch now. I was I was I was missing it. I was missing. Hey, uh, I've always got time for you. I mean, it's a massively positive thing, isn't it? Runners of all levels, no matter what their kind of uh, I suppose interest is in terms of distance and type of running and races and events and stuff like that you know you read stuff like this you read your article in interviews in runner's world or on a podcast and it's just it's just really inspiring I mean I'm not a, an ultra runner I don't do anything like those kinds of distances and I kid you not having spoken to you and just had a few you know a bit of back and forth with you with the messages and I'm I am easily influenced I have to say I've, I've found myself kind of googling stuff and I'm like looking at distances that are kind of like not normal or as I would call not normal anyway and I, it's amazing how one can be inspired and influenced just take me back a little bit because I'm really intrigued by the whole timing thing of this because this was in your mind for a while now to attempt the 268 miles of the Pennine Way obviously this was during 
lockdown, the first lockdown, 2020. What, what, what impact did timing have on you doing it this year? And did weather kind of have, uh, did that play a part? Because I guess you can have good and bad weather when you're doing something like this, which could hinder your attempt. Firstly, if I can backtrack slightly, it's brilliant that you're looking into into longer distances. I, I kind of jumped right, almost right in at the deep end um uh, I had done uh, two half marathons, then a marathon, and then an ultra, um, and and just loved it. But I would tell people it, the distances. I know they sound intimidating, especially to maybe a marathon runner who kind of does a marathon and thinks, "Oh, I couldn't possibly run any further." But the the truth is, we go pretty slowly, <laughs> and we hike a lot, and we 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 have amazing aid stations where you sit down and stuff your face with cake. Um, it's it's easier than it sounds. All right, when it gets to 100 miles, or or you're out for 24 hours you get tired and so on. But often you can sit down for a while and have some soup or have some tea. It's it's a lot more fun and easier than it sounds, is what I would love to say to people. In regards to the Pennine Way, I had hiked it nine years ago, before I was a runner. So I, I was in love with it already as sort of a hiker. And then as I slowly became a runner, well, I ended up doing the Spine Race a couple of times. That goes along along the Pennine Way in, in January. Um, the Pennine Way, for those who don't know, yeah, t- 200 well, officially 268 miles. Really, when you run it, it's normally 260 miles. But I did that a couple of times. Obviously, it hurt a bit, but I loved it. Yeah, did some other races, etc. But I, I guess I had this idea brewing. I think it's roughly four years ago where I f- first thought about the running record on the Pennine Way. And ever since then, it, it, it's sort of been, yeah, brewing in my mind. But I was very intimidated by it because it was set by a guy called Mike Hartley, who um, had lots of records. Uh, he said it in um, 1989. And he had lots of fell running records. He wasn't just some old fell running warhorse kind of thing. He he was um, fourth in the nineteen ninety three European hundred k championships. So like a proper athlete, like a fast ultra runner. So each year I'd, I'd think, should I try and run the Pennine Way? No, no, I'm a bit too intimidated. It, I'll never I'll never manage to do that. And then I suppose lockdown came along, and I could see my races were going to get cancelled, and I started thinking, well, I've got no real excuse now. Also, if I'm honest. My friend uh, and and county neighbour, he lives over the border in Somerset, I'm in Wiltshire, John Kelly, told me he was going for it. And I felt a little bit ashamed that I hadn't gone for it sooner, but also simply my, you know, like a lot of people, my year had just sort of cleared. And I think I said to him, okay, if UTMB gets cancelled, I'm going to have a go as well. I hope that's, you know, I hope that's okay. That's what happened. So we ended up, I ended up running it just eight, eight days later than he did. Yeah, the record has stood for 31 years and then he broke it by 34 minutes and then I, I, I betted his time. So I, I do feel for the guy because he broke a record that stood 31 years and he could only say that for eight days. Um, <laughs> uh, You're a heartless man, Damien. You're heartless. <laughs> I do feel a bit, a bit mean about Forget that. Forget everything um, we said at the start of this chat. You're heartless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think John's made sort of whispers that may, maybe he'll uh, try again next year. So it could be an ongoing... Mm. Odyssey uh, could be quite <laughs> exciting. Uh, he's perfectly capable of running a better time. He had a really tough time, a lot of tummy problems. So he, he's, yeah, he's perfectly capable of, of, of running a better time. So that could be very interesting to watch. And finally, yeah, so I guess I was judging lockdown. And, and what was tricky actually was, if you remember, well, Wales and Scotland, as, as most of us know, aren't always setting the same mm. rules as, as, as England. There's about five or seven K inside Scotland. Wow. And actually mm. the England lockdown was going to be over sooner. And I was like, okay, let's go. And I was like, oh, hold on. What about the seven K in Scotland? And I realised I'd have to wait another two weeks for that to be... Oh, you yeah, just pause the watch. South. I mean, that's what a lot of runners do when they're crossing the road. <laughs> Can you just hit pause on the watch? Just wait until they open the gates. <laughs> If only I'd had you advising me. Could have done that. Uh, <laughs> next, time, next time, next <laughs> time. <laughs> also, weather, weather's huge, actually. Um, 
So when Mike Hartley set the record back in '89, he had he had a really unusually warm summer and, and really dry conditions. The Pennine Way has a reputation for being a little bit boggy. The Pennines, they're often quite plateaued summits, so they do sort of, well, they, they hold on to water, basically, so it gets boggy. So you don't, yeah, that's going to slow you down. You want it as dry as possible. Admittedly, we have more flagstones on the trail now than he did back in his day, but slowly on less than 5% of the trail. I didn't really mind if it rained it on me a bit while I was doing it, but it was more about the, the week or two beforehand and what the weather did. And in the end, both me and John got, I suppose, kind of mixed conditions, like some bogginess, but actually the weather when we actually ran wasn't, or at least on me, yeah, I had some rain and some wind, but it, was, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, it was definitely still boggy underfoot in places. But like you say, especially the week beforehand, you've got like four weather apps on your phone and you're just refreshing them constantly. They're all saying slightly different things. And I did have a panic. You can't really tell with the weather forecast, for especially somewhere like the Pennines, you know, five or six days out, like it could still go either way. And in the end, it, it was okay. It worked out all right, I suppose. I mean, it's very different, isn't it, when you're chasing a time on this terrain? Because if you're just going out there to enjoy the environment, which, as we know, is a beautiful environment, we're very lucky to have this, uh, relatively speaking, on our doorstep. Uh, so much fantastic you know, national parks and trails and things. But if you're chasing a time, it's very, very different indeed. And obviously the, the, the trails can be quite technical in parts. Did you have any kind of scares or any, I guess, any things that you had to really keep your eye on? So you hear these people do these crazy multi-day events like the, the Marathon Saab, for example, and things where, you know, looking after their feet is the highest priority because that can just, like, stop their ambition. Did you have any kind of areas, be it feet, be it hips, anything that you needed to kind of just keep your eye on? This is why I love the sport, actually, because there's there's lots of different areas, and to me it feels almost like a game of chess. Um, so I'm, you know, athletically, I'm, you know, I'm not that gifted, um, but the longer the distance, in my experience, and, and the more kind of difficult the terrain, the more chance people who don't have, you know, who can't run a sub-220 marathon or even a sub-30 marathon, um, they have more chance, I find, because it sort of levels things up. So, yeah, f- foot, feet is, is a big thing, but I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. Like, I've been working with um, my sponsors Innovate for about four years, and I don't know, something about their shoes and their socks, I, I very, very rarely get blisters. So I wasn't too concerned, but, I, you know, I was using stuff that I'd experimented with in training, um, their new Terra Ultra shoe shoe works really well, and I did change. Um, I think I only changed socks twice actually, but ideally you change your feet more often. Change your change your feet. Um, change your <laughs> change your socks more often when they get wet. You know, if you can change into dry socks sooner, that, that that helps. But yeah, feet were good. Another one is eating, and that's John had a problem with his tummy, and it sounds a bit silly maybe to runners used to used to shorter distances, but once you go off over two, three, four hours, and especially if you go over twenty four hours, like. Well, firstly, you simply can't get all those calories in that you've that you've spent, but you need to get some in, and you need to get a lot in. Otherwise, you're just gonna um, your performance is gonna get slower and slower. Uh, and also, mentally, you, you stop if the brain isn't getting that that fuel. You stop, you know, making good decisions. I suppose so. Fueling is really important. So feet and fueling, um, pacing, like almost any race. I mean, if you go out too hard, you're in for <laughs> you're in for a bit more hurt. Um, but that's very difficult to judge, you know, when you're chasing a record, but you know you're going to be out there for two and a half days. Um, and I didn't always get that right. I don't think I, I mean, I definitely went a bit faster than scheduled, but I don't think I really kind of paid for it. I think I was smart enough to back off a bit. But actually on something like this, what was the thing that troubled me the most, and I think I knew this would be the case, was the, the sleep deprivation, really. I'm fairly used to going through one night. I've done that a few times. That feels fairly normal now. And, and, and yes, you, you have to keep putting the calories in and some caffeine. But the second night w- was always going to be the more difficult time. Yeah, I was, I was pretty sleepy, I suppose, and, and pretty zombie-like and, and just a bit of a, 
you know, a slow, slow moving sort of, I was being overtaken by snails at one point, I think. Um, <laughs> and I'd had actually three power naps or attempted three power naps during the day. And I just felt I couldn't risk another power nap, even though I really, really wanted one. But you sometimes you just have to stick, put up with that for a couple of hours. And, and nearly always when dawn comes, in fact, every single time, I think like that's lifted my spirits and, and sort of woken you up to an extent. And that's almost why you do it, you know, to be out in the hills when when, when the sun rises is, is, is pretty special. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, it's, it's like that if you go for a run in the morning, you feel like it's you're, you're waking up as the world is waking up. I'm really interested to talk about pacing, actually, Damien, because, you know, pacing is a, is a big thing for runners of all levels, of all interests, and it's not always such an easy thing to do. If somebody's doing a flat 10K, they can just go and choose the uh, minute miles you know, per mile, their, their pace, and, and off they go. Obviously, there's so many factors involved in what you're doing. I, you don't monitor heart rate, I think I'm writing saying. Is, is that the case? Do you go more on kind of feel? And how do, you, how do you gauge that as well? Because that must be really difficult. I don't, I don't sort of train or, or race on heart rate. Um, I guess I monitor my heart rate for sort of overtraining, like checking my resting heart rate in the morning. Um, but yes, minute miles, are, uh, they're not totally irrelevant, but I looked at the record Mike Hartley's record sort of before John had his go and actually this is what I had in my mind a lot to keep myself sort of motivated so actually his his overall record so it was 260 miles in uh two days and 17 hours and that actually is only four miles an hour or just over four miles an hour most fairly well-trained runners can 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 do that do that you know fairly easy pace but then of course there are big hills and there are bogs and obviously that slows you up a bit and, and through the night and so on and, and maybe some weather can slow you up. But but really I just concentrate on that and I thought four miles an hour, as long as I'm doing close to that, you know, things should work out. So I didn't have minute miles on my watch or at least not my first screen, but I did have average miles per hour. Um, and I think that translates as 10 minutes something minute miles. Um, but again, I wasn't too bothered about that. But that at least gives people an idea of you're not really traveling that fast you've just got to keep traveling <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so I, I i clung to that four miles an hour thing but also but and there has been a study into sort of pacing in, in i think 100 milers and and just everyone slows you know no matter how well you try and pace it you will slow and that's due to a variety of factors could be fueling etc but ultimately you, i suppose you're hurting and grumbling a bit and, and you're just not quite as everything's just a bit more difficult so i guess ultimately yeah i was doing it mostly on field but with a schedule of sorts my schedule was quite kind of relaxed it wasn't ambitious it was just almost the minimum the minimum thing so that i'd be more relaxed i didn't want to be stressed out chasing trying to put several hours onto the record i just was like as long as i stick to this it'll be okay but if i can build a little bit of a buffer earlier on then i've got that like sort of safety and you know safely in the bank is that, is that risky damien you know some people do don't they road runners they try to oh, bank some time in a 10k and I'll, I'll go out hard for the first 3k or for a marathon you know the first 10k was it was that a, a risky strategy or did you trust yourself to do that and how how much of a buffer did you want to give yourself could you quantify that i mean i know you're a coach as well so i'm fascinated by this thought process or did you was it a good feeling do you just kind of do you just are you experienced enough to kind of trust yourself to make that call i would say yes it's more that it's more running on field knowing yourself uh experience but those sorts of things i suppose aren't that helpful to to, to someone trying to do something similar um but i think you have to be quite personalized about it if you know what i mean like john john had quite a different strategy and he was much more ambitious with his strategy so i think he did set out to be four hours ahead of the record and he was that way for quite a long time, but then he, but then he wasn't, and ended up just thirty-four minutes ahead of the record. 
So that was the way he wanted to race. Um, but I just always thought that doesn't suit my mentality. I want to enjoy it more, basically. Um, and I thought if I'm enjoying it more, if I'm more relaxed, better things will happen. That was that was my feeling. I know that's a bit more vague and wishy-washy, but I just, mentally for me, that's going to make me happier, perform better. So earlier on, I was I was getting ahead of my splits, but I kept, you know, I had good paces with me. Uh, and sometimes they would say, well, okay, we're, we're half an hour up here. Like, are you doing the right thing? Like it... Norm was kind of warning me off, but they, one or two of the smarter ones would like, just check, is this all right with you? And I would say, yeah, I think so. Like we're talking, you know, if we were telling jokes or, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't joke telling all the way, but definitely early on in that first day, there was a bit of joke telling, there was some banter. It was, it was fun chat. It's a good sign. It's um, a good sign, isn't it? That stuff. Yes. Yeah. And I kind of thought if, if we're talking while we're running and, I, and I'm eating and, and I think then, then, then I should, then I should go with this a bit. Like I shouldn't hold back too much because... Hard, later, much later on it's much harder to sort of pick up the pace a bit more so I would say the first 24 hours all went very very smoothly um, but then I can pinpoint it now um, I think I really needed a good feed at about one or two in the morning there was a that I met my crew and I, I, I knew I needed a bit more of a feed um, and I left with a with a bag of rehydrated meal and I thought well if I eat this I'll be you know I'll be just back on back on an even keel and actually, I didn't like it, and and I didn't eat it. Um, and actually, then I didn't see my crew for about another five hours or something. Mm. And so I think I wouldn't say the rot set in there because it wasn't like I struggled constantly from there, but it was all more difficult after that. But it was kind of always going to be more difficult. So mm. I think I kind of think with something like this, you won't get it perfect. So I'm not claiming I paced it as well as I could, but I basically built a buffer of, of three hours. I think over the first twenty four hours, and that even got close to four hours at one point. But by that point, I did need some sleep. I needed something wasn't really feeling right. I, I kind of, yeah, I just needed I needed a sleep. But that was kind of why I built the buffer. So I did have a rest and, and gave up close to an hour, I suppose, on that. And then after that, it was kind of just holding on to the three hours. Uh, how much data did you have on the current record? Did you have much other than you talk about working out the average miles per hour? Because, I, you know, you talk about the sleep deprivation. This is something that fascinates me. I mean, I'm as grumpy as hell if I don't, you know, don't sleep. And I, it really affects me. It's almost something I feel quite almost paranoid over, lack of sleep. I've certainly been like that um, for most of my life, actually. I think, gosh, how do you deal with something like this? And how do you perform like that? Because I guess the record not necessarily can be won and, won and lost on the sleep, but it's not just about necessarily covering the ground quicker. If you can tolerate less sleep than the person who currently holds the record, then potentially you're going to become the new record holder. How was that sleep kind of strategy? Did you have one? Uh, they're great questions. I... um. I did phone up Mike Hartley uh, and he was really helpful, really generous with his time. We chatted for maybe an hour and I was given some data as well by Martin Stone about his his splits and he didn't sleep at all. So he managed to do the whole thing without sleep. But I looked at how many times he stopped and he would stop at nearly every road crossing, often only a minute or two, but actually I added them up and it was about three hours of stops. Wow. So I always thought, well, if I can bite a chunk out of that three hours. Um, so I was only meeting my crew roughly every four hours um, and then I would tr- try and be super efficient. I think I think for the um, the first day, you know, I was hopefully being like less than a minute most of the time. Um, obviously, you slow down and you, you're a bit just a bit more muddle-headed, and you you want the company, and you want you're not sure which snacks and, and so on. You do slow down a bit, but I saw I had some time there that hopefully I could eat into. But then also John Kelly, of course, went just before me. Yeah, t- tummy trouble and getting calories in, and he ended up having uh, I think two hours of 
sleep and power naps and and sort of resting so again I kind of thought if I don't use all that then hopefully I've got a little advantage on him as well so I ended up sleeping I think I think about 40 45 minutes in total but but a little bit more resting but yeah it's intriguing you get you get really obsessed with the efficiency for example um Ah, oh, what's the number? But there are well over 200 gates on the Pennine Way. I think it's 260-something. And I calculate, I kind of thought, how much how much time do you lose when you slow down for a gate? You might fumble with it if it's dark or your hands are cold, and then and then you have to start up again. Um, and I kind of thought, if that's... If you lose 30 seconds per gate, which is probably a bit generous, but um, I think I calculate that was over 40 minutes. Wow. Uh, That's, I, lo- I, I love that thought process, Damien. That, <laughs> it's like you say, it is like chess. You've got to be so kind of like, let's look at every single thing. It's always almost like Formula One. You know, people that don't follow Formula One, they think it's just the cars whiz around a track. But actually, all the science and all the strategy that goes into it, these these little margins. I would never get my girlfriend Martina running the Pennine Way. Now you've told me that, though. She hates the fact, she's Italian, she hates the fact that there's so many gates in England. She can't cope with it. She's having to stop for another <laughs> gate. She's like, why are there so so many gates in this country i'm like look come on just enjoy the scenery it's beautiful here <laughs> so, so you had 45 minutes of sleep over that period that's amazing i mean did you actually register that it was sleep or did you did you dream i don't how does that you know how does that work sometimes you're not really sure <laughs> mm. um, but i tried three power naps on, on the second morning i felt a little bit off like a power nap might might work for me so i mm. lay down for 15 minutes in the van but I feel like I only got maybe 10. Pushed on, and then in the evening, early evening, I tried again, lay down for 15 minutes, but I didn't, I didn't drop off that time. And that was a bit frustrating. We pushed on, and then, and then later in the evening, I tried one more time that maybe about, it was just getting dark, maybe eight, eight or nine o'clock. And I gave myself more time now, to, this time to drop off. And I gave myself 45 minutes, and I think I slept for about 30, 30, 35 minutes that time. And that did seem to help. Um, yeah. Even though a sleep expert would say... Um, we sleep in cycles of 90 minutes. So actually sleeping for, well, if I'd slept for about 45, 50 minutes, that would actually would have been bad because I would have been right in, in theory, right at the bottom of the, in the deep sleep cycle. It's another aspect I think that you're just not going to get on something like this. You're not going to get it perfectly right. It just adds to the intrigue of it all, I suppose. 24 minutes, I believe, according to NASA, is the optimum time for for a power nap. Apparently, (laughs) that's what they instruct their astronauts to do, 24 minutes. I read that recently in a magazine, so it's got to be true. If yeah, I, again, if yeah. only I'd had yeah. you it's worth bearing in mind. me there. It's worth bearing in mind. <laughs> uh, T- tell me, you must have had some dark moments, Damien. I mean, I can't even imagine the psychological strength that you need to do something like this. I imagine it takes so much mental strength, resilience. You need to know firmly, I believe, why you are doing it. I think that's obviously going to be key. Did you have a little cry? Have a little power sob? I know you like your power sobs. <laughs> Tell me about the power sob, because I, I think I need one. I didn't this time, but I, I, I won't lie. I have I have power sobbed before. Good uh, man. On my first mm. uh, running record or, or FKT was on the Southwest Coast Path, uh, which is 630 miles. So I was running for, yeah, 10 10 and a half days and I got very tired so I averaged three hours sleep a night there and that, that really isn't healthy or sustainable and I got yeah I suppose I just got very tired I felt guilty about being away from my kids so on the last maybe three mornings I would have a little power sob at maybe about um, 9.15 I think roughly 9.15 9.30 quick power sob five or ten seconds of anguish uh, and then do you know what though I would always feel fantastic afterwards and have some of my best running um, so I recommend power sobs to people. Just listening to the, I don't, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, Damien, but I'm certainly not a running guy. I, I started uh, running about six months ago on a very casual level, and now probably I'm up to about seven or eight k 
uh, a few times a week. But you know, just listening to the stuff that you that you go through, I think um, when I go out for a forty-five minute run, I go through um, a similar similar thought process uh, that you went through when you were doing your your Pennine Way. You know, I have moments of really really hungry. I get really <laughs> really hungry, overtly hungry. And when I get to a roundabout, a Rundle Avenue, just down the road there, um, by the time I get to Utoxta Road and I'm running down the hill, I'm having massive massive sleep deprivation, and I'm just thinking about the next power nap. <laughs> And then by the time I come round the corner back onto Wade Drive, I'll be honest, I'm ready for a power cry. There's no doubt about it. I feel your pain. If you want another runner to look after, take under your wing. I have just the person for you. Please, you can have him by all means. <laughs> well, Pete, I think you're ready. I think you're ready for a crack at the Pennine Way record. Cause you've, got, yeah, you've, got, you've got all the credentials. You've done all the training there. You've done all the key moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not much more you need to do really other than get used to bombs. and you should see him open gates he's awesome at opening gates I'll tell you he, he, he would gain so much time he'd just hurdle the gates the gates would be nothing seriously 20 seconds <laughs> Damien I don't know what you're playing at 20 seconds a gate you know <laughs> done out <laughs> 7 seconds max that's it done Damien I think it's important have... to uh, to mention as well and to highlight obviously some fantastic reasons why you're doing this to break the record it's just so awesome you're going to have loads of other things I am sure that you want to target but you uh, wanted to do this in a sustainable way as sustainable as possible and i think that's really important to to kind of highlight that what what was you thinking behind that and what, what certain things did you you put in place because i know you were supported by our carbon who who helped you with this i i guess i've just uh, in the last year or two got a bit yeah a bit i suppose a bit anxious about our, our climate and, and ecological emergency i felt inspired by extinction rebellion uh, or radicalised, you could say. Um, that's why I got this weird haircut as well, you know, radi- radical haircut. It suits you. Um, actually, good. that's because, well, I'm running out of options, as you can see. Um, uh, I, I feel like we can look at this on at least two different ways. Like, you've got the sort of political stuff and the personal stuff. Um, really, I think the best way is is to put pressure on politicians and political parties to, to, to act more quickly, because we're clearly not even going to meet the terms of the Paris Agreement at the moment, and, and that even was a was a bit of a risk anyway it, it's it's pretty conservative just to get the bigger co- uh, countries on board and, and it's so it's quite scary even meeting that has a 50 50 chance of working uh, and we're we- and we're not going to meet that at the moment we're way off it um so that's quite scary for me and thinking about my kids and i suppose like what will they think of us what will the generation below us and the generation below them what will they think of this generation uh in a few generations time i suppose you know did we do enough will they will they hate us basically will they think we were just a bunch of selfish selfish prats who who didn't didn't act um so i I think there's yeah the political stuff and the personal stuff and the political stuff can have far more impact because obviously governments can make big decisions and corporations and, and so on um but there's, I guess there's a personal element too uh, that we can do, but, but I'm not, not for a minute telling anyone else what, what they should or shouldn't do. Um, I just was, started to become interested in my own carbon footprint, I suppose. And, and like, you know, and I'll be honest here, I was flying around the world. I did four or five races abroad. And then I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can really, I don't feel good about doing that. I don't, doesn't feel right. Um, and I, I'm fully aware people were thinking this years before I was. So I got in touch with, yeah, this company called Our Carbon, who, who were sort of carbon accountants. Uh, and they, they can analyse my, and they end up analysing my sort of whole family's carbon footprint. Uh, and we, we made a calculation of what what our greenhouse gas emissions might have been for last year. And then, okay, what changes can we make? And it's, it was fairly obvious stuff, like, okay, if we fly less, that's that's the big one. And then diets is, is, is the next big one, like, yeah, cutting out cutting out red meat, especially beef and lamb, um, cutting out dairy. Uh, we haven't totally cut out dairy, but we've we, yeah, massively reduced. Um 
and 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 other yeah other lifestyle changes switching to renewable energy suppliers really really easy and quick uh i did it online in a few minutes and even saved a little bit of money um yeah there are things like that that are quite probably most people know about that stuff and are quite quick and easy and then and then they came up with a plan for me for this year which was um yeah greatly reduced sort of um greenhouse gas emissions and then of course to become carbon negative for the year i did have to offset the emissions i might use so i, I paid some money to um jim mann's future forest company who are also the same guys who do the trees not teas who are getting a lot of a lot of um popularity and a lot of use lately they're they're, they're really boom despite being no races on hardly um looks like lots of races realize that's a great idea and lots of people supporting it but i'm not i'm not i don't want to be one of those annoying people who's, who's telling other people what to do lots of people are doing more than me lots of people are doing incredible incredible worthy things and then the other argument of course is well you know it should be the governments really and, and the corporations who, who could do a lot more but uh, i'll get off, i'll get off my soapbox uh, for uh, now but what <laughs> why not use this great thing that you did to uh, you know as a as a as a platform as it were to to, to have a voice and and uh, create some awareness and obviously you i know it wasn't all down to you damien i think you, you've mentioned this before on various interviews and stuff but you some of your guys the people that were there supporting of course yes that there were uh, there were vehicles involved to go to certain places and things like that that the, your your um, support crew was it were but actually people you guys were picking up plastic and things on on when you were out there on the trails as well so there is some offset to uh to, to having to use those vehicles i guess you rightly point that out and of course it would have been greener for me not to have done this um but then i suppose you wouldn't have invited me on your excellent podcast to, to talk about it, so. <laughs> but um this was my aim ultimately to, to be able to come on your your excellent podcast um <laughs> and there were three things i tried to do um aside from being carbon negative overall which as i say does in involves some offsetting which is kind of a bit of a dirty word and not not the perfect solution but um yeah i fueled without animal without animal products so i guess a plant or or plant-based or vegan diet for for that which was quite fun to do and quite easy nowadays but then i tried to create no plastic waste when i did it and and that was actually uh much harder because if you think when you go into a supermarket maybe or or a petrol station to buy your hill food often for me that'd be a few flapjacks and chocolate bars bag of crisps bag of nuts all that stuff comes in plastic that was interesting to look into and, and fun to kind of find ways around certain problems um and then lastly i, I think we just thought well, why not pick up litter as we go as well i mean that was kind of easily done and especially as if i'm totally honest I had this amazing team of paces with me and they opened all the gates and pretty much picked up all the litter so <laughs> i can't claim <laughs> any credit for that really damien it was absolutely worth the wait having you on the show up you know it's fine that we had a leak and that we had recording issues we've got you now it was worth the wait it's, it's a pleasure talking to you we, we need to get you back on for part two or, or i think it's probably like part nine now now i don't want to be obvious everybody is very obvious with these questions and we don't like to be predictable on the uh, the podcast i don't want to ask you what you've got planned next because because that's just so boring. So I'm going to ask you what you're up to for the rest of the evening. Anything much? We doing well. This this lets me do a little uh, gratuitous plug, doesn't it? I'm I'm working on a I'm working on a book about it all. So I've got I'll have to do yeah. When we finish chatting, I'll I'll go and have dinner if my kids and and wife have left me any. Um, Good luck. Then then it'll be helping <laughs> helping with um helping with bath and bedtime. Then maybe an hour of coaching, uh, online coaching, catching up with people from today. And then, yeah, I'm in the process of, of writing a book about, about, I suppose, my experiences of, of ultra-distance challenges, um, FKTs and so on. Um, and that's meant to be done before Christmas. So, yeah, I'm, I'm well stuck into that and only marginally behind my first deadline. Um, so, yeah, that. Uh, yeah, so quite a, quite a boring, worky evening, Look at that really. seamless but, link. Um, Little book plug. 
This is all good. I said book plug, Pete. Out of me. Honestly. It didn't sound like book to me, you know, but you did. Definitely say book. As the book. words left my mouth, I thought, I'm just going to have to explain this one to Pete. Should we edit that out? No, you're yeah, the yeah. producer. I know no, you no, won't. No, no, no. Do you know what? An, an expert, proper professional producer would edit that out, but I'm leaving it in. It's fine. <laughs> if you want to keep up to date with uh, everything that Damien Hall's up to, it is ultra underscore demo on Instagram. Everybody loves you, mate. You're doing awesome. Have a great, super evening we can't wait for your book catch up soon thank you ever so much cheers guys Damien Hall what a legend absolutely worth the wait to get him on the show complete top man even if he did come on the show just to plug his butt (laughs) Running with Jake the podcast your weekly dose of running motivation out every Wednesday never miss an episode by subscribing now it's hashtag Ask Jake, where we take one of your running-related questions and help you to get the most out of this sport. And Jazz has sent me a message asking a very relevant question for today's episode. I had to choose this one about trail running. Now, Jazz listened to a, a recent episode with Sonny Pert from Black Trail Runners, who wants to get uh, more black people running on the trails. And Jazz himself wants to start trail running. He's a bit of a roadie. He wants to take to the soft stuff. He wants some tips and advice. Jazz, I've got three things that really leak to mind here. So the first one is footwear. So maybe ditch the road shoes for now and you want to get yourself some light trail shoes so by light trail shoes i mean uh, a pair that are prob- probably not overly grippy like you're going to do some serious fell running but just to uh, give you a little bit more grip than the standard road shoe to give you more confidence and traction when you are on the off road the second thing is condition yourself slowly because actually the cost of running off road is higher than that on the road because when you put energy into the floor when you run on the road that energy actually comes back into you and helps you to drive forward whereas on the soft stuff that energy kind of dissipates so it makes it a lot harder so perhaps just practice by doing a little bit of running on the grass in a local park that can help condition you to running off road and the third thing is remember the importance of single leg balance and stability so when you're watching netflix of an evening get yourself balancing on one leg or even when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and at the night i hope that helps don't forget if you've got a question it's hashtag ask jake or of course you can drop us an email at podcast at runningwithjake.com that concludes another episode of what turned out to be the trail running special edition of Running Reject the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's show. Have a great week of running. Don't forget when you do get a moment make sure you subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode using the podcast app on your mobile and if you do get a moment to rate and review the show that's really important to us. We would greatly appreciate that. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. Have a great week. Speak to you very soon. Oh one more thing Sometimes we are tested not to show our weaknesses, but to discover our strengths.